Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Did you hear that? Did you hear the intro? This is the Theology Central Podcast. Theology Central. Let me play it one more time. Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Looking at our world from a theological perspective, making Theology Central. That means this is a theological podcast. That means when we talk about issues, I look at it from a theological point of view. And I obviously did not make that clear when we talked about theology and the good guy with a gun theory. Obviously, I did not make that clear enough. I tried to. I tried to say, hey, guys, look, this is, I'm going to be looking at this from a theological perspective, but it did not take long for the emails to roll in. It did not take long for the comments to come in. And clearly, they missed that point that this is a theology podcast, theology, looking at it from a theological point of view. Okay. I, I don't know, but, but, but I, I guess maybe, maybe I should just repeat that for the next like 25 minutes and then maybe someone will actually hear what I said. I don't know. I don't know. Look, I even called the, I even gave the name Theology Central. You think that when someone listens to a podcast called Theology Central, they're like, oh, Okay, this is going to be a theological perspective. Well, if you disagree with the theological perspective, well, giving me other arguments are not really going to help because I'm looking at it from a theological perspective. So you would have to engage in a theological discussion and give me theological arguments. See, yeah, that would make sense because I'm not here to argue the political perspective or your own personal ideology I'm here to look at it from a theological perspective. Okay, all right, I know. Now now you're probably getting tired of hearing me, but let, let's, let's, let's go ahead and do this. Welcome, everyone. It is Saturday, May the 28th, 2022. It is currently 7.50 p.m. Central Time, and I'm broadcasting live from Abilene, Texas, on this Memorial Day weekend. And I hope, if you are listening live this evening, I hope you've had a great Saturday I hope you're having a great evening. If you don't listen to, if you don't hear this live, well, you've, you've missed all of the excitement, but, but whenever you tune in, I do appreciate it, but we have to talk. All right. Um, earlier today, I did a podcast episode entitled Theology and the Good Guy with a Gun Theory. All right now, I don't know if you're aware of this, but some Horrible mass shootings have occurred again here in the United States of America. It, it's becoming more, it just, it just feels like, you know, we have a mass shooting. Everyone does their back and forth. No, here's my perspective. No, here's my perspective. Thoughts and prayers. And everyone says, you know, everything. Oh, we're going to do something. And then nothing really changes. And then, well, we're right back to another mass shooting, then another mass shooting and another mass shooting. And it seems that when the mass shootings occur, what most people are more concerned about is winning an argument. They don't seem to be that worried about dead children. That, that doesn't seem to bother. When, when you get the emails, I don't, I don't hear pain or grief or depression about dead kids. It's about, no, my gun rights. 
which is just so weird to me that that they place guns before children. It's like, it's like, look, yeah, you want to, you want to make your argument about guns? How about you give it, I don't know, I don't know, a couple of weeks to grieve the death of children who were slaughtered? I, I, I don't, it just seems bizarre to me, but, but we're right back to the same situation. I knew talking about it, even from a theological perspective, people, people were going to get upset and they did. I, I should have known. I should have, you can't talk about guns. You just can't talk about the subject. You can't. You have to be, you, you, you have to eat. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's just so frustrating. It's so frustrating, but we talked about it. And I, again, I, my focus was on the fact that the NRA, President Trump, lots of different people have used this idea that, hey, the only thing to stop a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. And so I said, okay, that's, that's the ideology. That's the theory. But if I open my Bible to Romans chapter three, I, I hear something like there are, there is none righteous. No, not one. There, there is none that doeth good. No, not one. There aren't any good people from a theological perspective. We are all sinners. We are all ungodly and we have a depraved nature. Now, if you don't, if you don't uh, hold to a biblical theology, well, then obviously you may reject that. That's fine. I'm looking at it from a theological perspective. If you are looking at it from a Pelagian point of view where you reject human depravity, okay, we're not going to agree because we have a different theological perspective. But it was about that theory doesn't work from a biblical perspective because the Bible says you are depraved, I am depraved, so I'm not a good guy you're not a good guy because even our good works are nothing but filthy rags before a holy God. Even when we appear to be doing something good, it is corrupted. And even if we've been saved, even if we have been justified, we still have a sinful nature. And godly people can do very, very ungodly things, very unrighteous things. Now it doesn't mean that every that everyone is going to do everything that depravity could lead to, but it means that we have a depraved nature, that sinful nature, and therefore there's no one that can necessarily be considered good. But in our and this and this theory is no good guys with guns stop bad guys with guns. So the way we have to stop mass shootings is more guns. However, there are more guns in the United States of America than there are people. So by that logic, America should be the safest country on the face of a planet. There, as soon as someone pulls out a gun to do a shooting, they should be taken down in 2.3 seconds. They shouldn't even have an opportunity because pretty much everyone in America owns multiple guns. But, but it doesn't matter. This theory continues. So I, I challenge the theory from a theological perspective. Now, I'm not going to read all of the emails I received because many of them were just ridiculous, name calling, you know, veiled threats, just ridiculousness. Just, just what I expected, just what I expected is, is, is not. I got one, though, that was a little bit more calm, a little bit more direct, and I'm going to at least look at that. There was some discussion in our Discord channel 
that some people made some very good points and trying to go try, and I and what I appreciated I think I think for the most part in the Discord channel I didn't ha- have a chance to look at everything today I was going to read some of it my, right now but I may not even do that we may go to it but I felt that the people in the Discord channel was trying to trying to find that balance trying to you know okay I see it from this side okay what about this and trying to be fair and trying to be balanced and I really appreciate that because I understand that the subject of guns, especially in America, now I know I'm going to get emails from people from other countries, and they're funny. I love the emails from people from other countries whenever I talk about it. They're like, what is your, what is the issue with you guys? What is the problem with America? You guys just love guns, man. If anyone even calls into question gun ownership, you people go crazy. And I want to say, well, you people, it's not all of us, but you're right. I mean, it's like, you know, if you're going to be a man, you better own a gun. And it's like, I, 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 I don't get it. I, I don't get it. I don't understand it. But it is it is very much built into the DNA of much of the United States of America. But again, I'm not I don't care about American perspective. I don't care about a conservative perspective. I don't care about a constitutional pr- perspective. I don't care about any of that. I care about a theological and biblical perspective. You know, that Bible that says, Love your enemy, turn the other cheek, resist not evil, do good to them who would persecute you and use you, put others before yourself. Like, I've got to somehow reconcile those scriptures with own a gun, own a gun, own a gun, and if someone does this or do this or that, we'll we'll take them down, we'll shoot them. Even churches having armed guards that we will, we will kill someone. If they come into the church and try to hurt us, we will kill them. I apologize there. needed to sneeze. Good thing I got to the mute button just in the nick of time. But it's just, I I just like, I think every Christian who cares about the Bible, who cares about theology, who cares about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, should always struggle a little bit with, okay, how do I reconcile this? How do I rec... And and they'll just immediately grab one little verse, like right there, right? You know, Jesus told him to buy a sword. There we go. There we go. There's proof. There's proof. There's proof. And it's like, I, I I think you have to stop and just call into, look, here's the thing. You can have a personal opinion. You can have a personal desire. You can even go on with your own personal actions. You just got to sometimes admit, I don't know if the Bible really, really justifies or would really agree with my perspective. But Christians are unwilling to do that. They're just like, no, my perspective is own a gun shoot someone if I need to, and it's biblical. And it's like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Are you sure? That could be your flesh talking. That could be your own personal feelings. It could it be based off the fact that you were, I don't know, born in the United States of America? Maybe, maybe because you were, you live in an area where gun culture was very prominent. Is it possible that you're, you're taking the influence that has greatly impacted you and you're bringing it into the Bible. You're bringing it to Christianity. What I always tried to do is like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Okay. I I know I I was raised here in Texas. I know how it is, but I, I always had a hard time going, I don't know if I can reconcile this with the Bible. I don't know if I can reconcile this with the word of God. I mean, when you start reading the New Testament and you just, I mean, immediately in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is like, no, 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 uh, turn the other cheek, love your enemy. It's not an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. He's, he's literally going after 
so so much of those concepts that that many Christians speak of, Jesus seems to be really antithetical to those concepts right there in the Sermon on the Mount. And immediately we have to start, well, he couldn't have meant that. I love when Christians say that. Well, he couldn't have meant that. Oh, of course, of course, because you know what he meant, of course. Now, I understand that it's a sensitive subject. And, I, and I've already, I, I've mentioned it so many times that I in no way, shape, or form and am denying that feeling or that desire. I've said many times what I would do if I was placed in a certain situation. I know what I would do. The thing is, I would not, when it's over, say, well, it was justified. The Bible justifies it. God must be glorified. God must be pleased. I would be like, okay, I had to do that. I, I did what I did. I just don't know if I can justify it and say that I have clean hands before a holy God. And, and to, to just try to have that nuanced, layered approach seems to be unacceptable to many Christians. You, you, can't, you can't have that layered approach. And I, I'm thinking like, no, I, I, on one hand, I agree with you that my, 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 my mind, my flesh says, you, you come after me, you break in, you break in whatever, and I have a gun, I'm going to shoot you, and I will feel in my heart and in my mind, I will feel justified. But once I go to the scriptures, I don't know if I will still feel justified. And I don't know why that causes so, I don't know why that's so controversial. On one hand, I'm acknowledging the human feeling that we have to defend, fight back. I'm acknowledging that. But at the same time, I realize that I cannot necessarily justify that from the Bible. So, so, and, and I would think that every Christian would be like, man, I struggle with the same thing. Because, like, if I was put in a certain situation, this is what I would do. I just don't know if that would be biblical. I don't know if that would be godly. But many are just like, nope, no problem with it. No problem with it. It's right. It's biblical. It's godly. And I'm like, how and what twisted hermeneutic did you come up with to justify said action? But that's 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 where we get. I don't know why we can't just be acknowledged that, man, I wish I wish the Bible was more clear on this particular, like, like sometimes Christians are not willing to acknowledge that the Bible can leave us at times with certain, certain situations and certain issues with a large amount of ambiguity, a large amount of, I don't know. I don't know how dogmatic I can be. I don't know how, 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 how one-sided on this issue I can be because I have scripture again, turn the other cheek love your enemy. I, I have the concept of total depravity. I have the concept that when you take the life of a human being, you're taking the life of someone created in the image of God, and they're entering into eternity, whether heaven or hell. And I don't know about you. I don't want anyone to go to hell. I don't want anyone to suffer for eternity. And I would really have a hard time being the one pulling a trigger, sending them into that eternity. I don't know. Is that, is that make me a liberal? Does that make me woke? Does that make me, I don't know, I, I guess according to some, an idiot? I, I just don't think so. I think that that's like, no, I, 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 this is a real issue. Does, does it make me weak or pathetic that I'm tired of mass shootings? Does, that, does it make me weak or woke or liberal because I don't want to see children slaughtered in their school? 
two or three days before their summer vacation? Is that, is it, is it bother? Is it bother people that I'm bothered by that? Is it, is it says somehow I'm enter on the wrong side of the argument because I'm sick and tired of it. And I'm tired of the, of the nonsense. And, and again, pass more laws so more people can carry guns. Texas has passed every kind of law in the world that you can just, you know, basically I think about the moment, the moment you start breathing, they're like, here, give them a gun. I mean, Texas has, has, has given as many, has given as much freedom as possible to own guns and, and to make it as easy as possible for everyone to own guns. They've continued to give that and it hasn't stopped the shootings. Mass shootings are still occurring. So the argument is more guns fixes the problem. Good people with a gun will stop the bad people with a gun. But, but the mass shootings are still occurring. And, and reasonable people, thoughtful people, smart people, godly people. Yes, there can be differences of opinions, but people have to he- hear. It just seems weird that the, the Christians who are, who are on, wait a minute here, guys. I, I think we need to think about this gun thing from a theological perspective are almost immediately branded as liberal or, hey, you don't know how to interpret the Bible and just immediately. And it's like, wait, wait, maybe we're just trying to take all of this into consideration. And there's a lot here to consider, Right. Let me go through these again. We have all of the scriptures of loving your enemy, turning the other cheek, resisting not evil, Jesus not fighting back when they come to get him, rebuking Peter when he tried to fight back. We have very much a kind of a, a, a passive, a, a pacifistic approach in many scriptures. There's no way to deny that. To deny that would be just would be would be uh, just intellectually dishonest. There is very much a pacifistic approach in many scriptures. Yes. Now, yes, in the Old Testament, very much a different approach. But Jesus comes in and lays down a completely different perspective. You also understand the Old Testament was theistic, and and the nation. You know, we could get into all. Uh, you know, they, they were basically living in a a. a a theocracy in, in most cases. And so you, you had to see how that all worked out. But once you get into the New Testament, it's a very radically different approach. And that has to be considered. So we have to just realize there's a pacifistic push and a, lar- and, and a number of scriptures. That has to be acknowledged. Number two, we have to acknowledge human depravity. So the good guy with a gun, stopping a bad guy with a gun, is that's an American philosophy that's not a theological philosophy that says there are no, there's no one that doeth good no not one they're all we're all sinners so so you have to acknowledge the 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 place of depravity in the discussion uh, number 3 we have to realize that we that any killing is taking a someone who's created in the image of god and sending them into eternity we have to at least consider that possibility and probability has to be, I mean, unless, I mean, look, if you don't believe in hell anymore, then I, you know, I guess we, we don't have to worry about that, but I I still think hell is real. I mean, maybe, maybe it's just me. So these are issues that we have to take into consideration. So I'm going to at least work through one of the emails. That's, that was the more, the most reasonable of all, of any that I have received. All right. And I haven't checked. Let me look here. There may be more on YouTube right now. Let me see here. I hope there's not. I hope there's not. Let me. I'm. 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 I'm letting it load. I'm. I. Okay. Good. I don't see anything on YouTube at the moment, so that's good. All right. So here we go. Here's the one I received. I think this is the most recent, if I can find it. 
This is at 5.41 p.m. So it's been a little while. All right, here we go. Uh, they, they write to me, uh, sir, we've corresponded before and I hope you are well. So they start off, that, that's far better than some of the, the emails. <laughs> okay, here we go. Um, my take on your total depravity argument is that it reinforces the need to be prepared for self-defense. All right, I can understand that argument. Hey, the world is, is depraved. And since the world is depraved, I need a gun to stop again, to, to, to possibly protect me from all of these depraved people. But once again, you are ignoring the fact that you are depraved too. You are a depraved person with a gun, possibly going to defend yourself and kill other depraved people. Right? So you do have to realize that you are a depraved people, and there have been lots of studies about how many people are killed who buy a gun for self-protection -prote and end up dying at the, at the hands of that gun, All right, or that gun is somehow used against them or used on themselves. It's a gun bought for protection, and the gun that it's supposed to protect, it ends up using to kill the person who, well, the gun is in their home. I'm not saying that that, again, statistical arguments, there'll be statistical arguments for that. There'll be statistical arguments against that. We can have that debate all day. I'm just saying that, yes, I understand we lived in a, in a depraved world. I understand that. And you could argue that because the, the world is depraved, we need to get a gun so that we can defend ourselves. But Jesus also knew that we lived in a depraved world. And he said, love your enemy. He said, turn the other cheek. He said, resist not evil. He said, do good to them that would use you and persecute you. I, I didn't say that. I, see, this is not an argument with me. I didn't say that. I didn't write it. I don't, I, I don't, I, there, in fact, there's many things in the Sermon on the Mount I don't like, and it puts forth a righteousness that I will never meet. Remember, I believe the Sermon on the Mount is basically giving us the law of God fully understood, and it condemns us because we are never going to meet it. We're never going to fulfill it. That's why I have to be saved by an imputed righteousness. So he's putting forth a righteousness there that is absolutely shocking to the human system. To hear Jesus say, love your enemy is shocking. To tell him to turn the other cheek is shocking. To tell, him to, to tell us to resist not evil is shocking. It's supposed to be shocking. And that's why immediately people go, well, I don't think Jesus really meant that. Well, the minute you do that, you're literally lowering the standard so that you feel like you can keep it. The standard is supposed to be so high that you, by the time you get done with the Sermon on the Mount, you're like, woe is me, and it condemns you because the law of God always condemns. The Sermon on the Mount is law, which condemns and shows us that I need an imputed righteousness. But we always like, well, Jesus couldn't have meant that. Couldn't have meant that. He, he, there's no way he could have meant that. It's like someone saying, well, you know, I know he says thou shalt not commit adultery, but he couldn't have really meant that. And I know he says this thing about idolatry. He couldn't have really meant that. And, and I know he said things about uh, sexual immorality, like homosexuality. He couldn't have meant that. Isn't it amazing how everyone, when they don't like something, he didn't really mean that. And it just, it's the go-to answer for everything. But the point is, is yes, I, I understand. There's a, we live in a fallen and depraved world. And depending on where you live, I, I don't know where this person lives. He may live in a place where there is a high, insane crime rate, where at any moment he's under threat of someone home invasion or, or being mugged or being killed. And if the person lives in a situation like that, I can even understand, 
I can even understand it. I mean, I've said before, depending on where I live, I even though I'm even though my theology tells me no, my flesh would probably say I'm buying three guns and I'm going to have them loaded and someone comes into my house, I'm killing them. I'm just not going to say that I feel that that's justified scripturally. I won't be I, I it's hard for me to love my enemy when I'm putting three bullets in them. It's just hard for me to reconcile, love your enemy, pop, pop, pop. Hey, there you go. In Jesus' name, I I have a hard time with that. But I understand, depending on where you live, you may be so surrounded with an absolute insane, absolute crazy world, right, that I understand you feel like you've got to have that gun for protection. I understand that. I mean, you know, I I understand that, you know, when, when, when we were surrounded by a crazy virus that could possibly infect and kill people and you could spread to others. I understand when they said, hey, we need to do things to to protect ourselves. Like, I don't know, wear a mask and get vaccinated and social. Oh, wait a minute. No, I'm sorry. We weren't supposed to follow any of those rules. I sometimes forget. No, 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 no. We don't, we don't need a protector. We don't need, we don't need to follow any protection there. Okay. I, sometimes I get it all confused. All right. Yeah, I'm making a little bit of a joke there because sometimes the people who are the most pro-gun are the ones who are absolutely against doing anything to protect anyone from the COVID virus. And I always found that interesting, right? Okay, I don't need to, I've got faith over fear, but when it comes to guns, I need guns over faith. It's just, it's kind of interesting how that, isn't it weird how that plays out? It's kind of interesting. I don't know. Maybe because, uh, oh, maybe because we're not looking at anything from a theological perspective. Maybe we're looking at it from a political perspective, but I digress. All right, so I completely understand if you live in a place where at any moment someone could break into your home, at any moment you feel like you are under threat, your crime rates are absolutely through the roof, and you can't get out of that situation, and you have to live in it, I understand why you may purchase a gun to protect yourself from the depravity. Just remember, from a theological perspective, you're just as depraved. Just remember that. You have the same sinful nature as the people you're wanting to kill. And just remember that if you kill them, they will enter into eternity. And you are killing someone creating the image of God. And you're probably not, I think you're resisting evil. And I don't think you're turning the other cheek. And I don't know if you're loving your enemy. At least you have to just acknowledge that. I understand the desire to do it. And I may even do it if I was put in the same situation. I may do the same thing. I'm willing to acknowledge that. Okay, again, I don't know if you, this is the thing. The Bible gives me a morality that I'm supposed to live by, right? But it also, I also know that there are plenty of times I will not and I will fall short and I have to acknowledge this is one area, depending on where, what the situation is, I may not follow through with what I believe the Bible teaches. But I'm not going to water the Bible down so that I can say, see, I'm, I'm righteous because I did it. No, I, I, can't, I can't play that game. So I understand the total depravity argument. My point was this. So, so um, and, and this person, I don't think they actually live. I, I, maybe, maybe, I don't know. Maybe, or maybe they just did not respond to my actual argument. The argument was this. When, when, Christians buy into the concept that a good guy with a gun is needed to stop a bad guy with a gun. The minute you say there are good guys, you are immediately going against the biblical concept that there is none righteous and no one doeth good. 
That's all I'm saying, that when you voice something that way and you go against the very theology, which I, I mean, maybe this person rejects total depravity, but I, I mean, then, then, then we don't need to talk about guns. Then we need to have a discussion about Pelagianism versus Augustinian view, the Pelagian view versus the Augustinian view. And if you hold to the Pelagian view, well, that view has been condemned in church history more than once as heresy. But hey, you know what? You know, okay, so there is evil in the world and it would be a dereliction of duty not to take the necessary steps to protect oneself and their family. It would be a dereliction of duty. A dereliction of duty, dereliction of duty. It, it's right there. It's right there in scripture. It's right there, that dereliction of duty. It, it's, it's right there. It's right, I think it's right here. Um, let me see if I can find it. Um, where, where is it? Let me see, I'm looking. It'd be a dereliction of duty. See, uh, you have heard that it hath been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemy, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, pray for them which desp- uh, despitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh the sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and he sendeth the rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? And if, okay, well, I mean, and then he says, be ye therefore perfect, even as your father, which is his heaven is imperfect. I love the fact that he tells you to be perfect after giving you these rules, because these rules go against everything a human would ever think or would ever want to put into practice. But it's calling us to a standard, which, of course, we will never ultimately meet. And that's why we need an imputed righteousness. So, yes, you can say it's a dereliction of duty. You can. You could possibly throw some scriptures out. You could probably try to throw some scriptures out. You could you could possibly. I, I think of one that, that someone could possibly try to quote. But even if you quote that one, you can't ignore the ones that have a very pacifistic approach. Was it a dereliction of duty? Um, was Peter in the right when he chopped off the ear and Jesus rebuked him? Oh, I know, I know. We're going to say that doesn't count that because that's about Jesus. That's about, that doesn't count. That doesn't count. Okay, so in that particular case, it didn't count. But in other cases, it, it would have. So, like, how, how, when is it acceptable? When is it not? Yeah, okay. So I understand the dereliction of duty argument, but that sounds very, that sounds like a very human argument. That sounds like a very fleshly argument. It does. I don't know if it's a very theological argument. And again, the depravity part is you're using it to justify it, but you have to acknowledge first you are depraved. And number two, you have to acknowledge there are no good people because we are all depraved. There is none righteous. There is none that doeth good. That's literally the words of scripture. Not only is Paul referencing things written in the Old Testament, he's repeating it himself under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Again, I, 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 I can already hear people just n- literally not listening to the words coming out of my mouth. I understand the desire. And I even understand the situations may that I would not only possibly purchase a gun, would use a gun and, 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 and use deadly force in certain situations. I, I'm acknowledging I may do that. I just don't think when I'm done, I would be able to say, God be glorified, I was obedient to the word of God. I'm saying that, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I can justify it from a theological perspective. 
All right. Now, in my last broadcast, I tried to make an argument. My argument was, okay, if I was looking for a biblical justification, if I was looking for a biblical justification for why I could take a gun, have a gun, own a gun, and use it for self-defense, if I could find a possible justification for that scripturally. That, that would be very like a, a very positive argument for, not one by just like, well, Jesus told him to buy a, a sword. If I, if I had something that was far, like more direct, I, I pointed everyone to Romans 13 because I'm, the argument I was trying to make, well, if, our, if we live in a government and the government has authority according to scripture and that government says, hey, not only do we allow you to purchase a gun, we are in a sense authorizing you to use that gun for self-defense and you would be justified under the law of the land. Well, that would be me submitting to that authority and following the authority given to me by the government who has an authority that is ordained by God. I'm not saying it's a perfect argument, but let me read to it again, read it to you again. Romans chapter 13, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. So they're, they're of God. They're ordained of God. Now my job is, okay, I'm to submit to that authority as, to as much as possible. There are certain situations where I would have to disobey it, as we've talked about before. I know this is no, I know after COVID, everyone threw out the basic interpretation of Romans 13. I understand that. But my argument was, okay, that may give you justification. I was literally trying to hand people who want to use an argument for having a gun. I was trying to literally give them a biblical justification. I was literally saying, here you go. Here's a biblical justification, possibly. I'm not saying it's perfect, but at least it kind of works. But in this particular case, they didn't like my depravity argument, and they were like, hey, I, oh, if you don't own a gun, it's a dereliction of duty. But then they didn't like my Romans 13 argument as well, even though I was trying to help out the pro-gun side. Here we go. Also, I don't believe the right to self-defense is granted by the government. In the U.S., these pre-existing rights are codified, acknowledged in the Bill of Rights, but they belong to every human. Okay, <laughs> They belong to every human. I'm trying to look at this from a theological perspective. Okay, I'm trying to look at it from a theological perspective. I'm not trying to look at it like every human has the God-given right to do so. Well, I just quoted from the words of God, Jesus himself, who said, turn the other cheek, resist not evil, love your enemy. Jesus gives us an example to follow, and he laid down his life. He did not fight back. He did not resist. So this is like, hey, uh, I don't, I don't believe it's granted by the government. I don't believe it's granted by the government. So in other words, so if the government says you don't have that right, I know what this per- I, I think I know what this person would say. Well, I'm going to just fight the government and resist the government. I don't know. Do you use your gun and shoot the government if they come to get your guns? Because your guns is more important to you than following the government. I guess. I, I mean, there, there's Christians out there who think that way, which, okay. So my thing is, if you live in a country now that has seemed to grant you the right to own a gun, according to the Constitution, and in most states give you the right to use that gun for self-defense, so you would literally have a biblical justification for it. 
but I, they, that I don't want that. I don't want that biblical argument. I, I, I want to know that it's, it's a human right. It's a human right. It's right there in scripture. It's a human right to own an AR-15 and shoot people if need be. It's right. You see right here. It's right. It's right. Oh, there it is. Oh, no, wait. It, it's, I don't see that. It's a human right to do that. I, I don't, I don't see that it's a human right. And I don't care what the Bill of Rights say. I don't care what the Constitution say. I'm not here having a constitutional or Bill of Rights or an American uh, argument. I'm having a theological perspective. And whatever Israel was given rights to do, right, that was in a theocracy. But when you get to the New Testament, the theocracy, for all practical purposes, is gone. Jesus is now instructing disciples and how to live under the authority of Rome. And he doesn't tell them to fight. He doesn't tell them to, to no, he, there's none of that. Paul, tell, writing to people under the authority of Rome, doesn't tell them to fight, doesn't tell them to do any of those things. Again, it's a submissive attitude, and you're following those laws to the, to the best of your ability. So, I, I, you know, I... I don't, I don't get that paragraph. I don't believe the right self-defense is granted, granted by the government. Okay, then it's not granted by the government. I guess you're saying it's granted by God. And God, uh, not only, where's your scripture? Remember, this is a theological podcast. Now, you got to be careful. If you start quoting me scripture, I'm going to make sure, I'm going to place it in its proper context. If you're quoting scripture that's stated under a theocracy, mm, because, because here, Jesus says, it's not an eye for an eye. It's not a tooth for a tooth. That's the Old Testament way. The New Testament way is, no, we don't take that. The New Testament says, it's not us to take vengeance. It's not, vengeance doesn't belong to us. It belongs to the God, belongs to God. We're not to go for an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. We're not to engage in that. We're to love our enemy, turn the other cheek. The people who are supposed to engage in an in a, in a action to, go, to punish and go against them happens to be, well, uh, verse 4 of Romans 13, for he, speaking of the, of the government, he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. It's the government who has that authority to do the eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, not the individual anymore. But, but again, I don't know. I was trying to offer a possible, at least under our current laws in the United States of America, a scriptural, theological justification for it. But this person doesn't. I don't need that. I, it's just a human right. It just belongs to every human. Every human has that right. Okay. <laughs> I, 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 I mean, how, do you, how, do, how far do you take that? I mean... Uh, so who gets to determine what, what human rights? Who who gets to determine what is a human right? Right? Christians would, some people would say the human right is for them to be able to marry whoever they want and sleep with whomever they want. Is that a human right? Many Christians would, would say condemn that and want to pass laws to forbid them to marry who they want to marry or be able to engage in the physical relations that they want to, to, to engage in. So, so like, again, a human right we're talking biblical. We're talking theological. 
And then here we go, the last paragraph. Based on your previous discussions of Romans 13, and by my estimation, your incorrect exegesis of it, now, this person sent me a number of, they, all they did was send me articles, articles after articles, because this was, this was during the time when Christians had decided Romans 13, and no, 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 it no longer applies, it doesn't say what it seems to say. All of a sudden, when the pandemic hit, Christians decided Romans 13 needed to be r- radically updated. We needed an updated understanding of Romans 13, because the previous understandings were complete garbage, and I even demonstrated how preachers who used to preach Romans 13 one way when the pandemic happened, magically changed their interpretation of it. Isn't that amazing? And I wonder what could mill. Oh, because they didn't like the rules the government was handing down. Isn't it amazing that, hey, submit until I don't like the rules. And, and so I think, I think we should redo the, the, the you know, we should just redo that to, with, for everything. You know, anytime we don't like a rule in the Bible, then we can just change it. I, I think I just, I just say we have a wholesale, just every, you go, you get a, you know how, and I think we should get a month every year that if you don't like a rule in the Bible, that you get a month to just do whatever you want to do. I, I think it's the way it should go, but okay. So, but, so they sent me articles. I tried to address all of those articles. Um, and just, it was one, and then I would try to address one article. They would send another article. They were sending me multiple articles, but they're all saying the same thing. I even demonstrated how some of the articles clearly was not even, not even trying to address the actual issues of the text. I've want, I've gone through the text, looking at it in every possible way to, to interpret it. But guess what? My exegesis is wrong, but guess what? Their exegesis is right. It, don't you love how that works in Christianity? Yeah. I, I don't know if you realize this. Basically, I, for any passage of Scripture, if I don't like the way it, it has been exegeted or the way it's been interpreted, all I have to do is hop on the Internet, go on YouTube, and I can find a video or an article that will go with my desired exegesis. There are those in the LGBTQ community who will give you exegesis of passages that seem to condemn homosexuality and say, nope, those passages don't condemn homosexuality. Those who believe women should be pastors. Oh, wait, that exegesis is wrong. Women should be pastors. Divorce, remarriage, boom, boom, boom. You just name the issue. There's always someone with a different exegesis. So I've kind of reached the point in my life where just everyone's going to pick the exegesis they want. I, 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 that's really the sad, depressing part we've reached in Christianity. It's just now like, okay, my, all right, thank you for telling me my, my exegesis is wrong. And of course your exegesis is right. And I guess I should go along with your exegesis because your exegesis is better than my exegesis. It, it, it's, it's wonderful to know that. It's just, and it doesn't, and literally it doesn't matter how much schooling I've, I've it doesn't matter how many Bible colleges I've attended, seminaries I've attended, doesn't matter how many hermeneutic, hermeneutics class, doesn't matter because my, my exegesis is incorrect and there is wrong. So according to them, my incorrect exegesis, it, I give an unbiblical amount of respect to the government. I give a I give an unreasonable amount of respect to the government because I don't know how to interpret these words. 
I don't know how to interpret these words. So now remember, this is these are these are words written to. Okay, now I want you to just understand. If I read Romans one, if I if I read anything in Romans that condemn homosexuality, oh, I, oh, oh, that's still applicable today. If I read anything in Romans that talks about justification, that's still applicable today. If I read anything in Romans about uh, sanctification, that's still applicable today. If I read anything in Romans about that, I need to present myself as a living sacrifice, that is still applicable today. But I get to Romans thirteen, and all of a sudden. Wait, doesn't really apply anymore. But here we go. Let every soul, let everyone be subject unto the higher powers. There's the base. Submit to the higher powers. That's the base. I mean, I don't even know how this is even difficult. Submit to the higher powers. Okay. So I need to start with this, that it's a basic call, Right? I'm not saying that the Bible doesn't ever allow any opportunities to resist. I'm just saying that the primary focus, my primary attitude is one of submission when it comes to governmental authority. That's where I start. That's where the Bible starts. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. Then it gives me the reason why. Why? Why should I do that? Because that would be my first question. Wait, wait, wait. Why? Why do I have to submit to this higher power, this this governmental authority, especially if I'm receiving a letter from Paul and I'm in Rome and I got the crazy people in charge of Rome at the time, right? All the craziness going on in Rome. I think I would be like, why? Why would I submit to them? They're insane. They're crazy. They're pagan. They're ungodly. Well, here's the reason. For no power, for there is no power but of God, the powers that be are ordained of God. Okay. So I start with an attitude of submission. I know why I have to have an attitude of submission because the powers that be are ordained of God. God put the powers there. I may not like the power. I may hate the power. I may disagree with the power, but it was put there by God. That is like, I, but I, I don't know how to read that. See, see, I don't know how to exegete that. I don't. I need the decoder key, right? That's that's what I'm, man, I, I, I don't know how to read that. Verse two, whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God. So I, so I need an attitude of submission. Why? God put the powers there. And then warning, if I resist those powers, I'm resisting the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. Now, this is a theological issue. If I don't resist to that authority, I'm literally resisting God and places me in a position of possible judgment or chastisement. That's That's a serious issue. That's a serious issue, right? Because if that, if that, if I, if I face that, then I have to, I have to immediately go, whoa, I don't want to ever be there. So, so this would give me the idea that I need to be careful here, right? That, that and whatever I do, whatever, whatever I attempt to do, whatever, however I attempt to move forward to possibly resist human authority, I need to at least give it a serious thought. I at least need to give it serious thought about, hmm, this could put me, this could put me in opposition to God. So, so at least I should have an attitude of like, be careful, be careful, all right? Verse four, for he is the minister of God, 
to thee for good. But if thou do which is evil, so so it goes. But so it, it gives me the basic idea that uh, for the rule, rulers are not a terror to, to good works, but to evil. Will thou then not be afraid of the power to do that which is good? But it, I mean, I can, I can go through and read the rest of it. But you get the basic idea. It's it's simple. Submit. The powers that are be are put there by God. And if I resist them, I resist God and puts me in danger of spiritual judgment. There you go. That that that's simple and straightforward. But no, 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 no. It doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean my exegesis is wrong. My exegesis is wrong. My my oh, and my exegesis, though, so, oh, wait, it, it it was pretty common exegesis for a good portion of church history. And it was even pretty common in conservative churches in the United States until. COVID. And then all of a sudden we don't like it. We don't like their rules. We don't like that mask. We don't like that social distancing. We don't like them reducing our services to 25% capacity. Then all of a sudden, nope, we don't have to listen to them. And then it says the government has been responsible for the deaths of million upon millions and government failed to protect those children in Uvalde. The government failed to protect those children. So forget the government. Now, what, 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 so what, so what's your solution here? Oh, just forget the, resist the government, fight the government. What anarchy? Well, then I, we're, we're not in the same, I, I don't know how to even respond to this. The government has been responsible for the deaths of millions upon millions, upon millions, upon millions. Millions of people have died at the hands of the government, right? And you don't think the government that Paul was writing about and Romans, I don't know. You think that they weren't responsible for the death of people? Oh, wait, weren't they involved in the death of Jesus? I, I don't know. I don't, it's almost like we've reached a point that Christians, I almost want, I, I, th- I think, and I, I would have to go back through all of the emails. This person may actually be promoting some level of anarchy and anarchism. Let me see here. Um, let me see here. Um, Okay, I'm trying to see here. I tend to lean more towards anarchism. All right. Uh, as a, full, a philosophical point of view. So I'm going to grab this really quick. So, so in a previous email, this person identified this. I forgot this. I, I just had to make sure I looked this up. I'm going to make sure I uh, have a direct definition of what they are pr- promoting here. Anarchism, belief in the abolition of all government and the organization of society as a voluntary cooperative based basis without recourse to force to force. Okay, okay. Let me read this again. All right. Uh, uh, An anarchism, a belief in the abolition of all government and the organization of society on a voluntary cooperative basis without recourse to force or compulsion. Well, you know what? I think if you're going to believe in anarchism, what you have to believe is you don't believe in the total depravity. You have to you have to believe people are basically good. He want they want to abolish all all government. They want to abolish all higher powers. 
I, I don't. I, how do I respond to any of this? Like, like this is we we've left. This is not even a theological discussion anymore. Uh, Nowhere does Jesus call for the abolition, the abolishment of governmental authorities. He didn't say, guys, the the government there in Rome, they need to be abolished. Paul didn't say, hey, guys, we need to work on, on having the government abolished. None of that. That's nowhere in the New Testament. It says, whatever the government is doing, fine. We're not of this world. We're pilgrims here. We're strangers here. We're not of this world. We preach the gospel of the kingdom of God. We, our citizenship is in heaven. That's our focus, not the abolition of the government, not, oh, I've got a, I've got a right to, to a gun, and if the government comes for me, I guess, I, I, what do I do? I don't know. Do I fight them? I don't know. Now that person may no longer be, believe in anarchism. They, they may they may have removed. They may have changed that because I don't know when that email. Uh, I just knew I knew I had an email where they gave their their philosophy. That was January the second, twenty twenty two. So I believe it was. So I believe that was this month or, or this month this year. Uh, and at, well, that was at four eleven p.m. So maybe they no longer believe that. But again, where's your? I, I, again, I, I Bible. Bible, Bible, Bible. There's a very pacifistic, there's a, there's a very pacifistic line of reasoning given by Jesus. No one can deny that. The New Testament, for the most part, even when, when they were martyred or being attacked, they did not fight back. They did not take up arms. They did not do that. The early church did not even do that. They took a very pacifistic approach. I'm not saying it's perfect. I'm not saying it's wonderful. I'm not saying it's great. I'm just saying that there is a lot of history to justify that. Not everyone in church history did that, but there was definitely some. I mean, you could do like some of the Anabaptists and take over cities in, in Germany like they did, but that's a whole different story. Right, so there, not everyone took that approach, but okay, it was definitely there, especially in the book of Acts. In other words, you don't see in the New Testament taking up arms and fighting back. You don't see that in any way, shape, or form. All right, so we have a line of kind of a pacifistic approach, cannot be denied. We've got the teaching of total depravity. That cannot just be overlooked, right? You can't say, well, good guys with guns, you know, hey, hey, let's just abolish the government and, and we're just going to, I don't, I guess, live in peace and everything's going to be wonderful because everyone's basically good. Well, it doesn't work that way. I'm sorry, because people are totally depraved and it'll just turn into utter, complete chaos. Have, have governments done horrible things? Yeah, I, I think the Bible would even acknowledge governments have done horrible things. But Jesus doesn't call for us to try to work for the abolishment of said government. He tells us to live in the midst of that government trying to be as submissive as we can, disobey when we absolutely have to. But in the meantime, our focus is on preaching and teaching. So we have a pacifistic line of reasoning. We have the belief of total depravity. We have the idea that people are created in the image of God, therefore killing them. Well, you're killing someone in the image of God and you're sending them into, we have the reality of hell, which should always bother and disturb us. And I was trying to use the governmental structure to give you a possible theological reason for justification for owning a gun and for using it in self-defense. But this person doesn't even want that. Who cares about the government? I just have the right to do it because I say I have the right to do it. I, I, I don't, I, I, it's, I don't know what to say there. Like I, 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 I look at things from a biblical perspective, a biblical perspective, a biblical perspective 
That's what this podcast is about. It's called Theology Central. It's not called Philosophy Central. It's called Theology Central. And I'm not going to run around and find people who change the, the clear meaning of the text of Scripture to fit my philosophy. My philosophy must arise from the text. I don't take my philosophy and shove it into the text. But hey, my exegesis is wrong. Okay. Then by all means, instead of sending me articles, give me your exegesis and the hermeneutical method that you're utilizing to come to that conclusion. And then I'm going to take that hermeneutical method and use it on Romans 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 14, 15. And I believe there's 16 chapters in Romans. I don't want to say uh, count and be wrong. I'm almost, yes, there's six, yes, 16 chapters. And then I'll I'll apply it to all the rest and see if it holds up logically. And if it does, then your exegesis may have sound reasoning behind it. If your exegesis falls apart as soon as I start applying it to the rest of the same book or even the same chapter, well, then I'm going to be like, I don't know if that works. So I, I, I try to make it clear that this is a theological discussion, a theological discussion. That's what I tried to do. Now, I, I don't know what to say. It, it's like, if your perspective is completely, basically, not a theological one, you're coming at it from more like a, a, a philosophical one, then we're, we're talking different languages. But if you're going to tell me that my exegesis is wrong, then it's up to you to provide the correct exegesis, not just posting random articles that you found on the internet. You have to demonstrate your own exegetical work on the passage, right? You have to first show an observational study of the text, right? You got to do the observational work on Romans 13. Okay, once you've done the observational work, that means no interpretation at all. You just do all the observational work. Then after the observational work has been done, now that's going to limit what you can and cannot do interpretively. Then you move over to a hermeneutical perspective, and then you do a hermeneutical study where you outline what your hermeneutical method is, and then you exegete the passage with your interpretation. That's going to require hours and hours and hours and hours and hours of work. First, you just have to start with a basic like chapter summary method of Romans 13. You got to start there. Then you got to go, okay, basically, how does this fit in to the overall context of the book? What's Paul's argument here in Romans? What is he trying to say? Once we observe it, right, and we, we start figuring some of those, then we, then we can go, okay, here's my method of interpretation. What's that method? Do you use the... Which which method which school of hermeneutics do you do you uh, apply uh, do you, do you uh, do you go with right we we can talk about all the different ones you've got the historical grammatical you've got the different ones which ones do you go with and how has your school of hermeneutics how has it historically interpreted Romans thirteen. I was simply trying to use Romans thirteen in the most. I was trying to be the most liberal I I could be with it to try to even provide a justification for some people who want to use, who who want the the right to to, to own a gun and use it in self-defense. I was trying to actually help that point of view, but I was told that my exegesis is wrong. 
That's just crazy. All right. I'll stop right there. You can email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. I didn't even get to uh, some of the other comments I wanted to get to, but I'll stop right there, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. All right, I'm going to stop for now because it's almost 9 p.m. and I haven't had supper yet. All right, I'll stop right there. Everyone have a good evening. God bless.